Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Priscilla Ma. Priscilla is the executive director for the U.S. section of World Animal Protection, a global animal welfare organization with offices in 14 countries. Priscilla joined World Animal Protection in January of 2015 after a successful tenure at Smile Train, the world's largest cleft charity, where she was instrumental in growing the organization's fundraising activities and global treatment programs. Having traveled extensively throughout the world, including many developing countries, Priscilla has seen firsthand the connection between animals and humans and the important role animals play in the everyday livelihood of people. She's passionate about protecting animals, giving them a good life, and ending needless suffering. Priscilla, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, Stacey. So it's an interesting transition that you went from Smile Train to World Animal Protection. I was just wondering what convinced you to kind of join the animal welfare side of the fundraising world? Yeah, it is an interesting move. Um, After spending several years in the humanitarian relief sector, you know, I had the opportunity to travel with Smile Train throughout the developing world and also on my own personal travels. And I saw throughout my my travels in the rural areas, the people and the livelihoods of people and their interdependency with between humans and animals. Like there are tens of millions of people around the world who rely on animals for their livelihoods and their safety and well-being. And I got to see that. And when this opportunity came up at World Animal Protection, I just said, you know, I have to try it. It's going to give me a great opportunity to learn more about the animal welfare sector and our our friends, our, our furry friends. And it's been a great experience so far. So can you tell me a little bit about the various programs that World Animal Protection offers? Sure. Well, we've been around for more than 30 years. We've actually uh, became World Animal Protection from the merger of two other animal welfare organizations. And we were known as the World Society for the Protection of Animals, or WISPA. And we rebranded in 2014 to become World Animal Protection. We really focus on four main pillars uh, of our programmatic work. That's animals and farming. So we know 60 billion animals are farmed each year for food. And unfortunately, two thirds of them live in terrible conditions that cause them physical and psychological suffering. So we're working with governments and businesses to improve the standards and farm animal welfare policies to give them better lives. And our second area of programmatic work is animals and communities. We estimate that 700 million dogs are worldwide and the majority of them are stray or free roaming. And in many developing countries where we work, the governments unfortunately have resorted to mass killings or cullings of these dogs to manage overpopulation and also the fear of disease such as rabies. So we're working with the local governments and communities to administer rabies vaccination programs to stop the spread of the disease and therefore saving not only dogs' lives but human lives as well. And our third area is animals in the wild. 
tens of thousands of wild animals like elephants, tigers, lions, and bears are trapped in the entertainment and tourism industries. So they're held in captivity and they face immense cruelty and abuse. So we're educating the public on the plight of these animals in entertainment and engaging with the travel industry to work with us and ban the promotion of cruel animal entertainment venues. And then our last area is really our history of, of the organization is our disaster work. So unfortunately, disasters strike more than 400 times per year and animals are often the forgotten victims. And we are there on the ground days after a natural disaster takes place and we move quickly to save animals from injury, sickness, starvation and stop their suffering. So those are those are the four main areas that we work in. There's one other program that you are working in with the oceans too, is that correct? Yeah, that's part of our Animals in the Wild program. It's called Sea Change. And Sea Change um, tries to address the problem of what's called ghost gear. And that's lost and discarded commercial fishing gear and nets that are left in the oceans each year. More than 640,000 tons of this are left in the oceans. And it causes entanglement of marine life. Hundreds of thousands of seals, whales, dolphins, sea lions are entangled and can be injured or drown because of these nets. And what we're trying to do is reduce the amount of fishing gear that's left in the oceans, retrieve it when we see it, and also rescue entangled animals. So just to give our listeners sort of the scale of the organization, the United States office is one of how many offices representing World Animal Protection? So we're one of 14 offices, and World Headquarters is based in London. And uh, the U.S. office um, has 16 staff. So it's quite a large organization, uh, you know, 30 years. That seems actually like quite a fast track to growing to such an incredible size. And there's been a lot of work. I know the organization has had a, um, a history with a strong bear program. And I think the dog rabies vaccination program has become really well known. But I wanted to talk about the fact that here you are representing this very large organization just to get an understanding of what your thoughts are with regards to trap, neuter, and return. Sure. Um, well, what, like I mentioned before, one of our pillars is our Animals and Communities program. And this is really focused on addressing dog, humane dog population management. We actually prefer to call it CNVR, so Catch, Neuter, Vaccinate, and Release. We believe these programs, these CNVR programs, are very common. Um, they're very important in an overall dog population management program. They can help to reduce the number of dogs that are born on the streets and can help keep other roaming dogs out of an area. We believe CNVR programs should always be used in conjunction with other dog population management components um, so that we can target the source of the free roaming dogs. Um, we also work with dog owners to increase responsible ownership. And hopefully that will help reduce um, the number of dogs that are abandoned or um, also reduce the number of, you know, unwanted puppies that are produced as well. Um, so that's, you know, an essential part of an overall dog population management program. In the developing world where we do the most of our work, uh, rabies is still a very prevalent disease. And 
there are over 59,000 people who die each year of rabies. And so that's like one person every nine minutes. Um, and the majority of these cases are found in Asia and Africa. And more than half of the people who die or are affected by rabies are children, so under the age of 15. And 99% of the cases of rabies are caused from a dog bite. So what we're doing is, um, you know, trying to work with the governments to stop the unnecessary killing and mass killing of these dogs in these in these countries, and instead turn their efforts to rabies vaccination programs. It's been proven by the WHO, and it's acknowledged by other uh, organizations that focus on eradicating rabies that the only way to stop the spread of the disease is through rabies vaccination of the dogs, and that way the disease will um, stop spreading if. 70% of the dogs in that area are vaccinated. So that's one way that we um, enter, I guess, um, a new country or a new area or region is with our rabies vaccination initiatives. And then from there, we then introduce the government and the local communities and local veterinarian communities to continue with overall dog population management and responsible dog ownership programs. And I would assume what happens once you get the dog population under control in certain communities, that's when you're going to start seeing your cat population potentially increase. So it'll probably be sort of the next generation when you have to deal with the cat overpopulation issues in areas where there are quite a few free roaming dogs. Oftentimes, unfortunately, I think the dogs kind of handle the cat population and then, um, you know, then then as the dog population gets under control, then I think cats become a uh, more prevalent piece of the conversation. Yes. So unfortunately, we don't have a formal program for cat population, but we do every now and then we do have some special projects where that we do fund and work with the local communities to help manage um, the cats. And in fact, a, a recent case study for us was this past summer um, in Brazil at the Rio Olympics. So we partnered with the Olympic Games Organizing Committee and uh, the stadium, Maracana Stadium, was known to have um, like over 100 stray cats living around the stadium. And we wanted to make sure that the the cats were rescued, helped, and actually kept safe during and after the games with all of the athletes and all of the tourists about the, you know, walking around the area. Um, so we worked with the organizing committee and trained their staff on how to handle the cats safely. And we kept them in a center uh, near the Olympic site um, in partnership with the Special Secretariat for the Defense of Animals. And we actually created an adoption campaign for not only the cats, um, but also dogs that were rescued near the Olympic sites. And um, the latest I heard was that most of the animals were actually adopted. Um, some of them were adopted by some of the athletes themselves, <laughs> uh, which was really great. And um, by local local people as well and some international people who were attending the Olympics. And uh, so I believe we rescued more than 100 cats from around the Maracana Stadium uh, during the time of the Olympics. So that was one of our, you know, cat uh, rescue stories this past year, even though we don't have a formal program. You know, every now and then we do have the opportunity to to help cats.
The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the support the show link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Want to learn more about grants? Register for Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Learn the ins and outs of writing grants, how to track them, and how to do follow-up reports. This is a perfect educational opportunity for a small organization looking to develop a strategic grant writing program as a fundraiser. Go to communitycatspodcast.com and click the link on the homepage to register. After registering, you'll receive a confirmation email containing information about joining the webinar. That's Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. How do you prioritize what animals you're helping? I mean, it's you have a huge, you've covered the whole world and you have all these different species. I mean, how do you choose what should be at the top of the pile? You know, there are so many animal welfare issues and so many animals to help around the world. The majority of our programs are focused on where we think we can make the biggest impact on the on the largest number of animals. So hence we have a farming program where you know 60 billion animals are farmed each year for food and they live such short lives. So for the short that they do live, we want to make sure that they have a better life, you know, improving farm animal welfare policies around the world. That's where basically a lar- the largest impact um, for our programs is going to be on the farm animals because you're talking about billions of animals. The dogs, you know, again, we estimated 700 million dogs worldwide and the majority of them being stray or free roaming. So again, large numbers. Um, that's where we're focusing a lot of our efforts these days. Some of our older programs um, and some of the, you know, the programs that you know some of our long long-term donors have been involved with, such as the bear rescue. It's great work. Um, what we're trying to do there is end the exploitation of animals uh, that are be that are being used in entertainment because we know that they they go through such abuse and suffering um, in order to be trained to perform for tourists. Um, And they're also just, you know, they live their lives in captivity and they're not able to exert their natural behavior. And so we're just trying to end their, you know, their suffering by um, rescuing these animals, such as the bears in Romania that are being held in sort of roadside zoos and just outside of tourist uh, places like bars and restaurants just held in a cage with no room at all except to pace back and forth. So we're bringing these animals to a local sanctuary where they can live out their rest of their days in peace and tranquility and, you know, have lots of area to roam around and just just be a bear. But what, what's more important is the sustainability of these programs. So we work with the local communities to not only help them run their sanctuary and help fund it, but then eventually we de- help them develop fundraising activities so that they can sustain themselves and that we can slowly back out of the funding and, you know, the sanctuary can live on after after we've left. So that's that's our goal as well, is, is for long-term sustainability in, in the countries where we work. Many of the folks who listen to this show run organizations, they run nonprofits, and obviously you have a, a slew of experience in this realm. As a leader for an organization and as a key fundraiser, 
What sort of advice would you give the head of any nonprofit organization how to take the steps forward with regards to to fundraising? What's been the most effective and successful sort of path that you've taken in your experience? I really think storytelling um, is key. Even though we're helping 60 billion farm animals, for example, that's just too big of a number to wrap your head around and for donors to wrap their heads around. So we'll focus on one animal. Um, and, you know, this the story of this animal, so how he or she, you know, lives before we've come, to, you know, onto the farm and and and. In, and helped the the business and the farm with better practices. So it's it's really storytelling and focusing the content, the imagery and the copy on one specific animal where it has shown to be the most successful really is, you know, the bears, um, a very a charismatic animal, um, as well as our dogs, um, and focusing on the life of one dog um, before World Animal Protection came into the picture, and then afterwards, and how their their lives have changed. Um, so storytelling is important, and imagery is very important. You know, I think it's important to show and and the suffering, but not to be too graphic. Um, but what's even more important is to show and the hope. You can tell about the problem and the suffering and the issue, but also provide the donor with hope and how the issue can be resolved with the donor's help and with the donor's support. Because people just, they don't want to just hear about suffering. They want to know about how they can help. And so a very tangible solution should be offered for donors. That's a great point. I, we just had a, a bit of a snowstorm here, and there was a friend of mine sent me some video of cats in Boston still coming out to have their food, even though it was in the middle of a blizzard. And that tells a really impactful story of how important those feeders are, how important those caretakers are to the cats in Boston. And so we're going to get that video up on a Facebook page to be able to share with others how important the support is to provide money to buy the food to help those cats. I think you're right that the storytelling is really important. It can be overwhelming because I feel like every, every cat has a story. Every animal has a story. And which one do you pick? I think if you could get a group of people together, maybe you can choose them or just choose a story. Don't get bogged down in it. Just choose any story. And just get it out there because if you don't get it out there, no one's going to hear about it and then it won't be a story. It's not a story until somebody reads it. So if folks are interested in finding out more about World Animal Protection, how would they do that? They can go to our website, which is worldanimalprotection.us.org. And we have information on all of our programmatic areas. Um, People can read about the bears. They can read about our dogs program, the farming program, also our disaster response work. They can also find ways to to give to us. So they could donate online. There are also ways to other ways to support us through the signing of uh, petitions, for example, that we might have on our website. And they they change throughout the year, depending on what um, what is needed at the time. They can sign up for our e-newsletter as well. And that's a good way to keep up to date on what's happening in, um, in animal welfare and in our programs. 
And I am a supporter of World Animal Protection. I believe in the work that they're doing all around the world. So I definitely recommend folks check out their website and their programs. Priscilla, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I just wanted to to thank everyone for listening and You know, animals need a voice, and that's why I'm doing this work, and that's why our small group of 16 people in the U.S. office are doing the work, because animals are often forgotten. Um, They're the forgotten victims, and they need a voice, and we can be their voice to help them. Yeah, and just want people to have a better understanding of the importance of stopping the suffering, the needless suffering of animals around the world. Well, thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And Priscilla, I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thanks so much, Stacey. March Microchipping Madness is on, and the Community Cats podcast is celebrating by bringing you all the info you need to get your community and their cats on board with the scannable slam dunk device for feline identification. Get in the game and learn how microchipping makes it easier to identify colony members, helps reunite lost cats with their owners, and learn how to set up microchipping clinics and to combine microchipping with other veterinary services to improve outcomes for cats. Plus, we've got special giveaways for listeners. Be an MVP. Stay tuned all month long for details and don't miss a second of March Microchip Madness.